Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and a warm welcome from us here at Barangaroo Studios. This is Ozbiz and you're watching The Call. Ten stocks picked by you, two expert guests over the course of an hour. Thursday, the 11th of November, I'm Nadine Blaney, just sitting in for David Kosh today. It's great to have you here along with us. It's also great to have my two expert guests joining me on the show today. Here for the full hour, we have Carl Capralinga from Think Markets in Perth and Claude Walker joining us from A Rich Life. Claude, Carl, how are you doing today? Very well. Good afternoon, well, Nadine. Good afternoon, Claude. Good, good. Well, good now you. that the introductions are over, I'm not going to waste any time because we've got a full program and I know you guys have so much that you can impart to our viewers and myself. So we'll start with stock of the day. And this one is a suggestion from Claude. I'll give you that, Claude. It's a good one because, of course, we've had zero out with its half yearly result. A loss of $5.9 million versus a profit in the first half of last year of $34 million. Revenue, though, was up 23% to $505.7 million. And we're also seeing a 20, around 23% rise in subscribers as well, with monthly recurring revenue passing that $1 billion mark for the first time. Now, looking forward, the company says that total operating expenses are likely to rise, but that its acquisition of Plan Day should continue to see revenue grow in the new year. Now, I will timestamp this again. You guys are used to me by now. We're just past noon here in Sydney on this Thursday, and the share price is down by 5%. Claude, I'll start with you since it was uh, your pick. You're keen to talk about it. Um, the market's treating this update pretty, pretty negatively. How about you? Well, I wouldn't be overly negative, although I do understand, I can't understand why the market is negative. Basically, I would say that for a company zero size, the uh, performance versus analyst estimates has a huge impact on at least the initial market reaction, uh, reaction uh, to any uh you know, results. And basically, these came in a bit under what analysts were expecting, according to Cap IQ, especially on the profit on the profit line. Um, you know, the EBIT was a fair bit lower, I think maybe only around half what analysts were expecting. And then it was actually a, a small loss instead of I think that analysts had it as making a small profit um, off the top of my head there. So uh, yeah, basically, that's, um, that's probably explained some of the initial move lower. Um, having said that, I think the other part of the pie in, in order to understand why the stock is down a little bit today is that expectations around this company are really high. It's, it's a real market darling. And, and because it's such high quality, you have a situation where, yes, it has um, over $1 billion in annualized monthly repairing revenue now, but it has a market cap of, I think, about $21 billion. And so it works out at being even after the move down today at about 18 or 90 time, 19 times um, um, annualized monthly recurring revenue, which is fairly expensive for um, a company that is, you know, only, you know, not necessarily growing uh, fast enough. Although you would argue that probably 23% uh, revenue growth 
operating revenue growth is maybe enough to justify that kind of multiple if you can extend if you can keep up that revenue growth for a long enough time so there's many years of uh strong growth being priced in by the market so yeah when when the results come in below expectations it's not surprising to see the share price down Having said that, um, you know, I, I actually own only a tiny amount of zero shares because I thought it was so expensive. There's so many expectations around it. Having said that, I've always been saying to myself, oh, you know, I'll buy the dip one time when the, when it's better priced, I'll, then I'll load up. And, you know, I did buy a little bit in March 2020, but then not enough and I didn't go aggressively enough. So it's one of those ones where it's always probably going to be expensively priced. And that's because it has a great business model. It's very sticky, very low churn. Churn actually went down even in these results, which were not the best, but the churn went down showing the strength of the business. And what makes it so good is that it's still spending lots of um, R&D to make the ecosystem stronger. And its app store lets small businesses choose from more than a thousand connected apps. So what what that means is that you're having you're tapping into this uh, resource of entrepreneurial sort of software development companies to try and solve all these little problems on your platform. And then what's happening is they shift to, they said on the, on the call, which by the way, is probably still going now, just, just listening to this right before I came onto this show. But, um, you know, zero is now receiving a 15% commission on new customers who sign up to an app through the zero app store that shows that kind of business model is starting to kick in, which is what, makes it so attractive and and yeah basically on the product development side things look pretty healthy having said that yeah the stock's a bit down today i personally hold shares as disclosure and, and i think it's a really high quality business it's just about the price whether it's low enough to buy it is it low enough to buy it because well, you could be waiting if it's such a high quality stock for a very long time to see a more significant pullback correct or might that change if we start to see say interest rates rise yeah, so definitely interest rates rise, you've named it, could probably be the number one risk why you'd see a downside volatility on, on this kind of growth stock. And, you know, so personally, I don't think I'm going to be buying today, but in my personal portfolio, I'm pretty fully in, invested. When I take control of my um, superannuation in an SMSF sometime early next year, I probably will allocate some to zero just because it's such a high quality company. But how much I allocate would depend um, on the share price at the time. Generally speaking, I like to have a little bit of the really high quality companies because they might never get cheap. Um, so at least if they keep going up that way, I'll benefit somewhat. But also having a little bit of it is a reminder to me that I would like to load up if it does um, get cheaper. Cool. All right, Carl, how about you? What are the signals telling you in terms of the zero share price and whether it would be a buy today? Yeah, not a buy yet on the chart, uh, not to say that it, it it won't be or couldn't be in the short term. So it is actually interacting with, um, if you are familiar with my charts, that dark green zone. So that long term trend zone, which tends to act as support. Um, it's not visible on the chart on screen, but it kind of kicks in just around where the, just above where the, the, the lows were back in October. So it's, it's sort of in there. Um, but, you know, support level, uh, when it, just talking about technical analysis here, support level is not a support level until you see the demand coming in and the de- demand manifests itself in the market uh, through the candlestick. So through white candles and through shadows on those candles pointing down. If you don't know what candles are, go to Google and, and learn what they are. I'll uh, be looking for white candles and shadows pointing down in the zone. So it's in the zone now. It's And, and by this, I mean, I, I'm not going to rush out and buy it just because it's in the zone. I need to see evidence of that demand until those candles appear. I'm probably not going to run out and buy it. But the long-term trend is up. So you are still looking to buy those pullbacks. I agree with Claude in terms of the quality of the stock. Brokers uh, brokers have, have massive, massive projections on what this thing is going to do. I'll just give you an insight. I think it's valuable for viewers to understand the valuation because the valuation is always 
elevated. I mean, it's trading on 1,500 times this year's earnings. Sounds like a lot. But uh, if, if this year's earnings are going to be about 10 cents a share, next year's earnings, they're forecasting to be 50 cents a share, Nadine. So that is, you know, a massive, massive growth, 10 cents to 50 cents. And then the year after that, up to just over 80 cents, the year after that, into $1.50. So there's a huge growth runway uh, coming up. And that justifies these high valuations we're seeing now. So first first point, um, watching for a buy around this level. Second point, don't be scared away uh, by, by the valuation metrics. They're going to get um, a lot better. And finally, just on the on the half yearly results today, a couple of things that look disappointing about some of the headline numbers, but they are spending money to make money down the track. And the other thing I note is they did raise their prices very recently. Um, so margins improved, tick, tick, tick. And churn, as Claude said, went down. How about that? Less than one, fewer than one percent churn. Which I'm not sure if there is another business out there that has uh, less th- less churn than that for a subscription-based model. So, <clears throat> raised prices, churn went down. I mean, that's really for me all you need to know about the fundamentals or that result. Okay, so not a buy today because you've been waiting for more of a pullback. Okay, guys, thank you. That's zero. That's the stock of the day. Let's get on to the companies that have been nominated by our viewers. This one is for Colin. It is Catapult. Sports Science and Analytics, we've spoken about it in the past. I did note this week they were out with an announcement, excuse me, spruiking that they're moving into eSports, talking up the size of the market. I mean, Carl, to me, that seemed a bit uh, bit clickbaity, if I'm honest. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, these guys are, uh, they obviously they do uh, wearable uh, technology for uh, elite sports people to track performance, or at least for the for the clubs and the organisations that manage those sports people to track their performance. And they, look, they have been doing very well. And they've got, you know, tremendous growth in, in revenues and take up of this uh, product across the globe have been negatively impacted by COVID because, of course, the disruptions to various um, sporting codes around the world and potentially, therefore, it makes it a little bit of a reopening play. I'm not sure. I didn't catch that um, that announcement about the eSports. I'm not sure what well, It's not listed as material for... on the ASX, oh, okay. but they will be working with some sort of eSports team, how exactly that works. So okay. I think it's more well, the you, analytics side of the very <laughs> Aren't you sitting in a chair for esports? Aren't you sitting in a chair and playing computer games? How is that? How, what, what performance do you need to uh, track your heart rate? I think or... they're using the, the real life data to try and give to the um, game developers so that they can make like the esports more realistic uh, or whatever, but yeah. they didn't put any gotcha. numbers on it. It did seem pretty airy fairy to me. I wouldn't be putting yep. heaps on it myself. That, that's a bit, yeah, that's a bit fake. Look, I mean, look, I'll, I'll get to the, the, the cut and thrust of this. I mean, it, look, I think there's there's a lot to like about the business. The only thing I don't like is the valuation, which is kind of a problem. So we've got a fair value target of about $1.66 on this, which is a little bit below where it's trading right. And now that has improved based upon the last update. We did upgrade our, our target on that. Um, but because it, I think it's a little bit overvalued, I think the trend as well um, is is disturbing, as in it it is edging towards the bottom of a really key support range and if it breaks through that range I could see it so if it breaks through 160 I could see it going to 130 uh, incidentally last time I was on I think it was with Claude we talked about this one I did call it a sell it was 190 it's down to 170 I'm going to stick with that I'm going with a sell today because I think there's a risk to get it uh, to get it much cheaper down at 130 down there I would I've, I think I would be interested though got it thank you and how about you Claude well, now that's made me curious. What did I say last time? Um, yeah. well, I don't. I don't recall precisely, but I do agree. I would probably buy this. I would probably be tempted to buy Catapult at a dollar thirty. Um, however, I think that you know this is actually a good opportunity for me to relook at this one because I've been following this stock for years, but actually end up losing a little bit of money on it, selling out, and then sort of as a result, I have a little bit of a bias where I don't like to look at it so much anymore. 
Um, now, I think that it's also really useful to understand where it is in, like, I guess, the, the turnaround cycle. Because if we look at the five-year chart, I think that that's going to still pick up on, you know, a big fall it did all the way from about $4 down to, um, uh, this is like longer ago, five years, yeah, $4. And it was up at $4 even before um, then, but uh, all the way down to, I think, $0.60 cents or lower. You can see there's been this huge derating, and I think it's important to understand that story. So what had happened is that uh, basically that they had, um, with much fanfare, advertised how they were going to go into um, prosumer, um, and that is, you know, trying to bring down their, some of their technology for tracking the elite a- athletes and bring that down and offer that to, I guess, like, you know, just serious amateurs um, at, lower, at lower costs and, I guess, lower functionality. And this was, like, never a great idea, and, and uh, as it turns out, was really destroying a lot of value. But what happened, what, what that meant was that the company uh, used what was going really well, their growth in the elite section where it's, um, you know, the main athletes being tracked for their performance and health basically just stopped the, you know, very expensive athlete stars getting injuries. That part was growing. And then they raised um, $90 million from institutions at $3 a share in 2016 on, on big hype. And then they just didn't deliver. Their spending was like crazy. Um, they had like a new offices and everything. And then um, in 2017, the next year, they raised another $14 million at $2. And then in 2018, they, they raised another $25 million at $1.10, right? So, and then it went down to 60 cents. So, and then the CEO resigned, okay? So in the course of that stretch from 2016 to 2019, they have must have knocked on the door of every single small cap. Well, I don't, I'm assuming, I'm guessing they've talked to every single small cap fund manager on the ASX and said, hey, buy our shares at $3 or whatever. And then those small cap fund managers have seen the price go all the way from, um, you know, $3 to 60 cents. They've seen their brothers and sisters who they get a drink with who did invest at that offering just get absolutely wrecked on it and have a really bad time while, you know, the, the CEOs, executives, etc., et do make a lot of money on remuneration. And so that's just left a really um, bad bad taste in the market's mouth. Now, I think right, right now, you know, we are doing, we are seeing a bit of a turnaround. We've got a new CEO now. Um, from October 2019, and I was thinking about it, and you actually saw some board board members resign then as well. And I was thinking about it, and basically, you know, that was kind of unlucky timing for the new CEO because he came in right before COVID hit mm-hmm. and just completely disrupted the sports market. So I'm sorry, but that history isn't necessary to explain in order to understand why, like, sociologically and momentum-wise, we may actually have gone through a shift now, and we may actually be seeing a, you know, a better future ahead for these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see that there, but as as it stands for me, I don't think they're too expensive. I would definitely buy them cheaper. They're on the watch list, but I still am not a super big fan of the board. So I'm a little bit hesitant to um, put my money in the company, but I actually have a suspicion that um, it, it probably does get better from here with the reopening. Okay. And just to uh, confirm, Carl, what was your entry point for Catapult? Uh, look, I, th- I think it. Uh, I think around that 130 mark, 130. there is some yep. key technical so a- support and, yep. and valuation support. Okay, got it. Now, Fisher & Paykel is next on the list. And I checked out what the brokers are saying, all neutrals and sells. Uh, The reason UBS, for one, is selling, and I think it was uh, the other reasoning as well, is is just the share price for Fisher & Paykel. Like, no real complaints about the business. Is that sort of how you see it, Carl? 
Ah, oh, UBS. They are such sticks in the mud. I think they've still got a $32 target on Afterpay, and I think they've got about a $60, $70 target <laughs> on Zero. Uh, you know, hey, they may be right, you know, and that's the beautiful thing about markets. You know, if you hang on with your, your thesis long enough, you might well be proven right. So, dare I say, I wouldn't read too much into what UBS thinks about a stock. That's just my uh, experience with that particular broker, and I'm sure I'm going to get phone calls or something from their lawyers pretty soon. Yeah, we how, will too. How, Don't worry. How, continue on. Yeah. <laughs> however, however, they are correct in that um, you know, you're paying a high premium uh, for Fisher & Paykel, no doubt, but it is you know a high-quality stock. It's a sleep-at-night stock. I, I see this as, you know, for the right person, it's that self-managed super fund uh, core holding. You're not going to have to worry too much about it. Total shareholder returns usually going to be, you know, at least market um, beating the market there. So, that you know, tick, tick, tick in that regard. If you're more of a growth investor, this is not the one for you. So, you, you wouldn't even be looking here anyway because we're probably going to get flat earnings for the next three FYs. Is that because the company's terrible? No, because it had a huge boom through COVID. Of course, because this company, if you don't know, sell respirators uh, via hospitals, and they also have a lesser part of the business that uh, does the at-home stuff. So they're cycling some really high comparables. That's going to keep growth flat for a little while. I don't personally, I don't think it's expensive here because the market's been pretty comfortable and paid fifty times for this for, for many many years. Uh, we've got a fair value target, which that you know at thirty-three fifty-three, which provides actually eight percent upside. The chart's not too bad. You know, it's sort of reasonable short-term uh, trend, long-term trend is not bad, but it's not shooting the lights out. So just again reiterating. Core holding, self-managed super fund, if that's you, at least a market total shareholder return. If you're a growth investor, it's not for you. No, but uh, if your price target is anything to go by, it would be a buy today if that's what you're looking for as a core holding. Is that correct, Carl? Again, you know, horses for courses. So if, if you are that self-managed super fund investor, I've no issues in, in buying it today. Thank you. We just have to stick with the rules of the program. Carl, I mean, Claude, apologies, Claude, is this a father-in-law kind of stock for you? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it is. It's probably a hold uh, at these prices, but it's definitely that kind of quality, like good blue chip, a defensive business model. But uh, you'd, you'd argue the pricing isn't so defensive right now, and about a 1.2% dividend yield, 45 times earnings. Now, the next uh, couple of years, analysts are, you know, suggesting that revenue will go down a bit. There's possibly some upside surprise there. If, um, demand for respiratory assistance devices, you know, keeps going strong with a lot of people having uh, lung problems because they're not vaccinated. That could actually surprise the upside. But for me, it's still a hold at this price. And, and I, it's actually hard to differ much from what Carl said. I, I, I agree with all that. Okay, good. Now we can leave some time for Magne Magnus Energy, MNS. This is for Ben. He says he's been following the company for a few months, hesitant to invest as it was early days, but it's had a massive run. Presumably, he says, off the back of strong lithium prices, he's wondering if he's missed the boat or... Uh, could he, you know, expect to buy in at a lower price? So just for those watching at home, MNS is the ticker code. It says it's a next generation green credentialed lithium ion battery cell producer enabling the future energy requirements of the world, the global storage of renewable energy and the electrification of transportation. So tapping into that mega trend, making big promises. Uh, what do you think of Magnus Energy, Claude? Does it have that type of potential? And to the point, you know, would Ben be better to wait or get in now? It's always um, really hard to, be, to field these kind of questions because this is what I would classify as a more speculative investment. Um, doesn't 
it, it isn't self-investing and I think it has a graphite project and a lithium ion project so it's definitely trying to play it's trying to leverage off that um, battery theme but you know at the moment this boom in I guess environmental tech technology that we're seeing right now it reminds me of a similar boom that was also driven by um, you know partly by just government grant giving you know 10 years ago which was in geothermal producers in, and at that time the ASX uh, had like 10 geothermal produce, like explorers that, that were getting government money here. And I think that there's a lot of um, interest in environmental tech and it's very easy for people who want to save the world and make money at the same time to get sucked into uh, investing on not very favorable financial terms. You know, that's certainly how I started out when I invested. My The first stock I bought was like one of these green tech companies. I just fluked it and bought it in February uh 2009 so the stock price went up but that doesn't mean the company ultimately went to zero and so mm-hmm. i guess without specifically want to pick, pick on magnus um these spec these more speculative battery tech um or lithium kind of companies um and the environmental tech generally that just i would be very careful and treat it really as maybe uh, similar to dogecoin or something like that basically in my mind um so you can make money off it but i don't think if you invest in this you definitely can't mock millennials for like um, speculating on random cryptocurrencies so um horses for courses for me it's too risky um but that doesn't mean the share price is going to go down well yeah okay for me it's a sell it's a sell it's it's too early days for claude carl what do you think because again there are a lot of these opportunities out there everybody's doing lithium and ions and batteries and everything else and i i maybe i've been hanging around with my mate scuddy for too long um but i do have a healthy degree of skepticism i think but i also recognize that there will be some of these technologies that are hugely important in the future so in particular for mns and ben's question i mean what are we seeing in the price yeah, look, hopefully, uh, I, you know, every time I come on, Nadine, with my bullish outlook, I'm just wearing off some of that uh, <laughs> that influence from Scuddy there. <laughs> look, oh, look, hey, uh, Claude nailed it, high risk. And, and you know, but with high risk comes high reward. And I, I do think there are risks in, in Magnus Energy uh, in terms of it has had a, a really big run up. Look, I tipped this one at 37 cents a few weeks ago on the basis of a chart pattern, which I discussed with Annette on Tuesday. Uh, go find that recording of the trade. Uh, it just looked perfect. And there was some backing behind it on the fundamentals. So these guys are not necessarily kicking over rocks in the desert somewhere in Argentina trying to find lithium to quote unquote be leverage this huge boom in EVs down the track. No, they actually actually are producing electric vehicle batteries as we speak over in New York. Now, the best thing about producing them in New York is the fact that they can supply to that US market, which is you know increasingly turning off uh, Chinese suppliers. So that's tick, tick there. Um, so in production, so it's not like, you know, we, we're going to, we've got to invest all this money to get there. It's fully funded to, to get this sort of demonstration, uh, more than a demonstration plan uh, underway. Offtake agreements are in place. There are some question marks over the, the uh, validity or solvency of one of those customers. So there, there's there's that risk thing again. Um, but bigger picture, look, I think there's there's a lot to like about it. So um, the chart's reflecting that. The chart's reflecting um, this, this potential upside. Current market capitalization, this is the numbers you have to look at, about 500 million. So it's not a small cap anymore, it's moved into that mid cap. However, looking at some of the the comparable companies out there and what they're capped at, especially the ones in America, I do think there's a valuation upside just from that. Now, is it gonna come from cash flows? Probably not. Cash flows are opaque. I can't really do a valuation on this, but I did do some back of the envelope things and you you could easily see a dollar plus out of it in the medium term. So take a a bit of a longer term view 
view on this one. Buy the pullbacks. I think that's where you're going on this. Um, if you didn't get in before the run, don't rush out and buy it today. It is up a little bit today, but it is pulling back. Um, and I think that I'll give you a level here. Just get my chart up. Sorry. Uh, 50 to 55 cents. And if you get the right chart patterns in there, and if you don't know what they are, again, you know, I'm sure I'll tweet about it again. Um, but around that 55 to 50 cent level is where I'd be looking to buy the pullback with a medium term view. And it could be anywhere dollar plus. You never know. Got it. All right. I'll go back and watch that episode of The Trade. Thanks for the tip. Now let's get on to our next company on the list. XREF. XF1 is the ticker code. This is for Jack. It's a human resources tech company, but it's actually got some some pretty big customers from what I can see. It's got H&M in the UK for one. It's got Arnott's here in Australia. So the Bickies, it's got Fortescue Future Industries talking about that green trend. Um, Mayborn Hotels, you know, the list is is quite long. Uh, I'll start with you, Carl. What do you think of XREF? I love it. I love it. We've had a buy on this one for a while, uh, at least at least a few months now. We p- picked it from just around about that 50 cent mark. Look, it has gone up, but um, there, there have been some positive developments uh, since then. Market updates that have increased our valuation. So I think our valuation now is around about uh, 94 cents, which is still is giving us about you know 35 to 40 percent upside. Um, it, the the I just to go check out their last uh, quarterly report. So their first quarter is usually their worst quarter of the year because you're sort of cycling um, uh, after the end of the year, hiring takes a bit of a pause. Uh, Northern Hemisphere, you know, coming out of summer and and the like, right? So... um they actually shot the lights out this quarter. Um, it was better than their fourth quarter, which was supposed to be their best quarter, you know, seasonally anyway. So they are way, way ahead of where we even expected uh, they were going to be just a few months ago. Um, I still think it looks cheap in the valuation. Uh, it's not one of those that are trying to make a business. The business is there. It's just scale now. They just have to get to scale and they're growing rapidly all over the place. It's a global uh, business. So the chart is reflecting that. The chart looks great um, because charts just reflect fundamentals. Let's face it. It's not the other way around. And and I'll give you some uh, maybe levels if you don't want to rush out and buy it. I'm happy to buy it at the current price. Um, actually, it has just recently pulled back. So it's not even, you know, I like to buy pullbacks and uptrends. It's already pulled back and now it's starting to go back up again. So it's just a buy for me. Got it. Thank you. How about you, Car- uh, Claude? What do you think of XREF? Well, Carl's made me question um, my own thinking uh, for a second there and what he said. So I guess there's some possibility I'm I'm wrong. Uh, look, I... Let's let's zoom out a little bit because, um, first of all, what XREF does is they do they sell uh, credits for reference checking. So that's why it has all these really large companies because like these big companies do a lot of hiring and they need um, an automated system for uh, reference tra- checking. Now, whilst it's true that um, Q4 tends to be the best quarter for sales, um, what you'll actually see uh, is that Q4 sales, so it has a pattern where it has the most sales in Q4, as I understand it, and then that drops down on Q1, and, and we've seen that again this year in sales. But then the pattern for actual receipts from customers lags that by a quarter. So from memory, even though the sales are best in Q4, the receipts from customers um, tend to be higher in uh, Q1. So I guess um, that, that may be wrong because I think it may have conflicted slightly what with what Carl said, but that is my recollection of it. And um, as a result, actually, I so I own shares in this one, and I did think as well that the most recent results were very good. The cash flow was strong and flipped over into op- operating cash flow positive, uh, which is great to see. So I I bought a little bit of shares on that um, on that inflection point, but I am a little bit cautious right now because I think that um, 
I've noticed in the past that it does tend to get a little bit excited around the Q4, Q1 time, which is where we are right now, which is when its results tend to be um, stronger. And then, in you know, historically, it's not done so well in the, in the other quarters, in the middle quarters there. So uh, let's see about that. It, sometimes I would expect there to be a little bit of a lull in their sales because it's a little bit cyclical with hiring. But, um, you know, we'll see how that plays out this year. I don't think we can deny the fact that if you zoom out, the long-term tra- trajectory here is growth. Now, keep in mind, that I think part of the narrative that's going on right now as well has to do with uh, this story about, you know, the great resignation. I don't know if you guys have heard about that, but supposedly due to the pandemic, you know, there's supposed to be lots of people changing jobs as things open up and um, things get easier. So if that's the case, if that's true, that's my reason for holding on to a bit of shares right now, because I feel like it's possible that there's a huge, you know, change in the zeitgeist that could be beneficial to them for the next year or so. So for that reason... I do quite like them. I'm a little bit cautious also in the in the um, past. There's been some, I guess, key uh, personnel leave under not um, optimal circumstances that have made me uh, sometimes have a little bit less confidence in the company. So, uh, Will, you know, I take this one very cautiously. I do own shares in it, but it is actually one of my lower conviction companies and one that I'm more, I'm more likely to trade out of it, you know, uh, if it disappoints or something like that. But so- for me, I still think it looks... It's a hold right now, basically. Got it. All right. So that's XREF. Let's go on to Right Crowd. And that is RCW. And this is for Henry. Uh, Well, Carl, Right Crowd, it says that it keeps their people safe and helps companies keep workplaces secure and compliant, which we all know is so important now with COVID restrictions. Now, it's looking to grow its U.S. business. It raised capital earlier in the year to do so. It really wants to fire up its sales growth, apparently. Um, what do you think of this one, Right Crowd, RCW, Claude? Uh, so Right Crowd's one that I've owned for a while now, and I guess I've been fairly wrong on it um, in the sense that I guess I paid a higher price than it currently trades at. So I haven't admitted complete defeat yet, but that could just be a sign um, that I'm deluded. However, uh, the, the thing that I like about it basically is that it has um, some fairly fast-growing recurring revenue around its um, presence control uh, dongle things that people put around their necks when they're going into offices to get access to different things. And these things now can also sense if you're close to other people and who you've been in contact with, which could be important. And I guess is being rolled out in a, a lot of places in terms of being able to contact trace for COVID. So assuming that that is a thing, you know, and, and that may die out in a few years if everyone gets triple vaccinated and it's not really necessary anymore. But for now, there's obviously like some demand there and that ARR growth is pretty strong. And look, the actual growth of the company has been uh, quite good. It still is burning cash though. So it's still high risk. It's got some cash, so it doesn't need to raise capital again soon. But as um, you know, my readers will be aware, I think that the reason that really like took the, and it'll be interesting to, to say, to hear what Carl says actually, because this might be something that you wouldn't really want to buy it till the chart looks better. But the chart looks ugly because they had um, some good results. The, sh- the share price went up, and then basically, as soon as it got, as soon as it spiked up there, they couldn't be, couldn't wait, they couldn't, couldn't be any faster to try and immediately do a um, capital raising at quite a big discount, yeah. but not to existing shareholders who already believed in the story. They put the capital raising to other people that um, were just clients of a certain broker, and those people have been selling ever since. And you also leave a bad taste in the mouth of the existing shareholders who did believe in the story. 
So it's this crazy recipe for just churning so many shares by sitting around at the board table and deciding not to offer the shares to the people who already have shares in your company and ergo probably like it best. You want to upset those people and give the shares to other people who then just want to flip for a profit, push the share price right down. And in a pure, like, you know, let's hear what Carl says about about that. But to me, the fundamentals look pretty good. I have a few questions around um, that decision by uh, the board, but... You know, I still own shares for now, but I wouldn't want to come out too strongly again um, in favor of it because I have been a bit wrong and I paid a high price in the current price. Okay, so that's a hold and uh, keep it on the watch list, I think. Yeah, Carl, what do you think? Yeah, look, it's definitely on my watch list. It's not one that I was uh, completely familiar with until obviously getting the notes for today's spot and I did when it went out and did a deep dive on it. And I, I like it. I think it's, you know, there's some great products there and obviously kudos to them for pivoting so quickly into their uh, sort of COVID monitoring of your staff and, and, and uh, whether they're keeping distances and things like that. And uh, if somebody is infected, then contact, contact tracing within your organisation as to who might be impacted by that. So it's clever, clever, clever tech. Plus, all the other stuff as well, which is, of course, managing who's coming in and out of your business. And if you're in any of these big buildings, uh, modern buildings today, you know that that's that's how you get in and out. So I like it. The only problem for me is that the rate of cash burn is significant. Um, Yes, they've uh, done that capital raising. I wasn't aware of that backstory that Claude said, but it does explain the chart, which I'll talk about in a second. It's I don't think the revenues are growing enough to get that cash burn uh, to operating cash flow positive soon enough for me. So it might just be one of those that I'll come back and look at in about you know, three or four quarters, um, get a bit more of, a, of, of, a, of an idea of how they're traveling um, to get a firm date on when they will go cash flow positive, because that's when I do like to invest in businesses. Um, look, doing some pretty rough estimates because you know cash flows are hard to forecast when you're in this sort of business. Um, I did come up with a fair value of 39 cents, which is constructive given the current share price is 26. However, because the chart is just so terrible and Claude's told you why, there's a bunch of investors just basically selling because they can and just, just lock in some, some near-term profits. Um, you know, it would have to get above 33 before it started to look good on the chart. And if it gets to 33, then I think the fair value, fair value is 39. That makes it tough. So look, I think it's a great business. It's on my watch list. It's not a buy right now. Okay, watch list territory there for right crowd. That brings us to the halfway. Oh, Claude, go. I uh, just, Carl really gave me some food for thought, thought then. And I'm just wondering, because I actually do think it is undervalued as a buy, right? But it's just the sentiment's so bad. I wonder if actually tax loss selling come June might actually be, because a lot of those capital raising people will be underwater, right? So I wonder if tax loss selling around June 2022, that might be around the bottom, just a speculation. But yeah, that, that was the idea Carl gave me. Good, cool. We love ideas. That's what we're all about. And uh, just keep in mind as well that this information is general. It's not suited to your specific financial circumstances. So you do need to keep that in mind. Halfway mark, let's do it, shall we? Let's summarize what we've learned in the first half hour of the show. So zero, it is not a buy on the charts for Carl. It is a buy for Claude. It's a quality business, uh, but it will not be going into that portfolio. Catapult, both of my expert guests are looking for that $1.30 mark to, well, you know, Carl says to look for value in that. It's key technical value. It's on Claude's watch list as well. Fisher and Paykel, it's a hold. It's a quality company. Uh, Claude couldn't disagree with anything that Carl did say. It's a sleep at night 
stock except Carl has it as a buy because the price target at Think Markets is 33.53. But again, it's if you are looking for that sleep at night type company. Magnus Energy, it is not a buy today, according to Carl. You'd be looking for it between 50 and 55 cents. It is risky, but he says with risk, you can get some big rewards. It's too risky, though, for Claude. It's actually a sell for him. He doesn't like getting into these companies, even if you like the narrative, if the financials aren't backing it up, which they don't in his view. Uh, on XREF, Carl loves it. He says it's a buy, and it's been a buy for a long time. It is a hold. Claude's a little more cautious on that company, and that brings us to Right Crowd. You just heard the guys talking about it. It's on the watch list. It's an ugly chart, according to uh, Claude, but he, he thinks that it is a hold, and he's got an idea. Maybe tax loss selling will bring it back to a level that it would be good to get into again, but you'd have to be waiting. You'd wait till June 2022, and it's an unproven thesis. All right, that takes us to an update on the NAB Trade portfolio. We've been running this here at AusBiz for quite some time now. If a company gets a two thumbs up or a buy from both of our experts on the show, it goes into the portfolio. If it's already in, it comes up again, receives a unanimous hold, it remains in the portfolio. So here's how we've been performing. Over the week, up by 1.6%. So we're looking pretty good on the uh, month, we're up by about 4%. Year to date, up by 9.5%. Now, since the you know, the, the inception, though, that's July 1st of 2020, the portfolio is up over 48%. Lately, we've added Rhythm Bioscience, we've added MedAdvisor, Seven West Media, and Smart Parking, and Vanguard Total Market Shares Index ETF. Now, we have removed PWR Holdings, Hub24, James Hardy, and Core Lithium. If you'd like to look at that portfolio and all the detail there, you can do so by going to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. We'll be updating you every day here on the call with how it's tracking. So welcome back, guys. I have Claude Walker, who's joining me here from A Rich Life, and Carl Capulinga, who's joining from Think Markets. This is the call. You can get your questions in at the call, osbiz.com.au. Let's continue on. So guys, uh, we have had a couple of really strong updates coming from the likes of Seven Group and Nine Entertainment today. I mean, Nine at this time of the day, seeing its share price up by two and a half percent on an otherwise negative session. The next question is from Ben, and it's about Southern Cross Media Group. So do you think that some of those same forces will benefit Southern Cross, Carl? Yeah, so we're talking about uh, generally, you know, sort of a recovery trade where mm -hmm. uh, you know, all the businesses out there start to advertise more to get us cashed up consumers out back into the stores and spending. So, um, yeah, look, there could be some tailwinds there. Whether SCA is the right way to play that, I'm not so sure. Uh, look, yeah, if you look look at their last result, it kind of looked okay until you took JobKeeper out and then it kind of looked terrible. Uh, but, you know, I think... you. Yeah, I think you've got to, got to look more forward than backwards on this one. I'm just sort of checking my notes here. I think I put down here, it's a, it's a C, maybe C plus. Uh, it's a little bit overvalued for us. Our price target on this one is 212. I'm just noting the brokers are at 217. So that's below the current price. Um, growth outlook is, you know, muted at best. Um, yeah, and, and look, whilst the chart is sort of trying to drag itself off the canvas. Uh, it's not exactly shooting the lights out either. So if I can't find a reason to buy it uh, on the fundamentals, the narrative or the chart, then it's definitely a pass for me, unfortunately. 
Got it. Thank you. How about you, Claude? Yeah, so this is just not really a high high enough quality business for me to be um, wanting to be interested in, basically. So uh, what we actually see on that big leap on the chart there, there's like a, t- a share price consolidation. Um, so it wasn't to do like the it wasn't to do with the share price going up. I, I don't think. I think it's just like always going down almost. Uh, that's certainly how the earnings are. Um, and so uh, even though like you can have a little bit of a bumpy improvement as you know different periods differ from one to the other. In this case, they got JobKeeper. The overall trajectory has been for lower profits um, and lower revenue. So. Basically, I would avoid this based on the on the long term, um, you know, reduction in their business. Uh, I think you know if we go back uh, to 2016, uh, they had su- they had substantially more uh, revenue than they do today, um, and that that's just the nature of their business. It's not going to grow, so it's on around. I think you know a fairly high multiple for a low growth business. Maybe there's a value opportunity there, but those kind of value traps take very specialized kind of investors then i'm not one of those so i would sell it sell there you go southern cross that is coming out of the portfolio it was in it's now out quantum intellectual property qip this is for fia so it's an ip business that operates in australia and i believe malaysia singapore new zealand as well it's got a number of australian and international clients so basically it helps clients Uh, get IP issues sorted. That's a very basic description of the company, which I was not familiar with. Uh, Claude, have you been familiar with this company? Uh, I had a look at it and followed all of those IP law uh, companies. I think there's um, IPH is one, and I think now it's been taken over. There was another one called Zenith. Um, And basically, this was the third one to list. It was the smallest one of the lot. And it, you know, it, these kind of businesses, they are reasonably resilient businesses. Now, I know these guys have a strong international presence. I think it was only, um, I'm not sure, around half from Australia. And then what's more, in Australia there, they are increasing their market share, they said in their last report. So it looks like it's a fairly healthy business. But what you've got to remember is that these kind of businesses sort of are growing, grown out of law firms, like they're the corporate version of law firms in, in a way. And so... Historically, how this uh, industry has worked has been with partnerships and, and people work long hours to become partners and then they share in the spoils that way. This kind of um, corporate, like them becoming ASX-listed companies, that sort of breaks down that model a little bit, potentially makes it a little bit more competitive. Ultimately, I suspect a, a fair bit um, key employees do still have a fair bit of uh, sway and they can make sure that they're getting a decent amount of the spoils. So over, overall, it's not really where I would want to invest. Having said that, um, this is a classic kind of, I guess, a smaller cap uh, dividend, to my mind, like something that you would think of as a dividend company because it's got quite uh, solid business. And at current prices, it, I think it's got a, a yield of over 5% at the moment. So basically, at current prices, I have to say it does look somewhat tempting. I just don't know enough about the I, I wouldn't be confident to say buy but actually this has put it on the watch list for me i think it could be a decent small cap dividend stock you just have to remember growth is going to come more through acquisitions than um organic growth and there's always a lot of risk in that strategy okay what do you think carl 
Uh, yeah, look, I think it's a very solid stock, as Claude says. I don't think I can add a whole lot to what he's discussed on the fundamentals. I agree that uh, their personnel are probably their greatest asset and their greatest cost base as well. And there's you know some indication that with uh, just general inflation about the place that you know th- that could put some pressure on wages and therefore the costs and the margins of the business going forward. Uh, they're probably look. Let's face it, they have been a li- they've been somewhat or modestly hindered by by covid um, as we move out of that that could uh, you know get the process going on a lot of these um, ip applications again so um, i think they'll grow in sort of you know low to mid uh, single digits from here with you know probably not a great deal of surprise element there to the upside but it is a solid performer and uh, claude's correct about a 5.9 percent fully franked dividend yield so very friendly to self-managed super funds with a lot of stability in the business we've got a, a fair value target based upon our earnings and growth um, uh, expectations of 126 which is give or what is bang on our target today mm-hmm. so you know probably not a great deal of capital upside coming but you've got your six percent yield and sleep at night and the chart is fairly supportive of everything I've said. So it's not like the chart is looking precariously placed or it's in a long-term downtrend. It's quite the opposite. So uh, if you are that self-managed super fund type of investor, you want that sleep at night factor and a bit of uh, dividend yield, then it's okay for you. Um, It's not a growth investor type of stock. I personally wouldn't buy it. So I don't think I'm going to call it a buy for the portfolio. Okay. It's not a buy. And Claude, just clarify, was that a buy, hold, sell from you? I think I'll call call it a hold. um, But yeah, interesting. It's just, yeah, it's not that everything Carl said is accurate, basically. There you go. Let's get to the one that's been nominated by Jessica ACW. Hope you're watching or listening, Jessica. This is Actinogen Medical. Apologies. Yes. Actinogen Medical. It's a biotech. It helps to, what well, it aims to help treat neurological diseases, including. Uh, you know, you can think Alzheimer's, its lead candidate is a drug essentially that um, will help to stop the production of cortisol, which is believed to impact cognitive facilities in the brain. Um, I'm not, I didn't have time to research exactly what phase of trials this company is at. Claude, can you shed some light on that? I think it has a couple of different uh, drugs. Definitely it has one Xanax, Xanax at um, phase two, and it has some uh, received its uh, rare pediatric disease designation for uh, Xanamim, I think, which is one of its drugs as well. So I guess it might not be too far from proving it it, it can do something. I'm not quite sure. Um, there's a whole lot of things that companies have to go through to get a new drug product on market. There's the extremely uh, expensive trials and then there's like different designations for, for where it can be used. But then you ultimately have to also convince the doctors that it's a good idea to be used as well. So it seems like they're uh, actually a very long way away from, you know, phase three trials of a, of a blockbuster drug. Obviously, that's what um, all of these drug developers are hoping for, because um, then they can potentially get super high margins for a really long time. But until... You know, until then, basically, most of these kind of biotech companies, they do ultimately end up failing. And so there's going to be a period of time where it'll just trade on hopes and dreams and speculation until eventually at some point, either it'll sort of succeed or or it won't. And um, I personally would definitely need to have a science degree and maybe even some special special specialization beyond that to be able to uh, really add value in terms of discussion of how likely these drugs are to succeed i think it's super specialized so i tend to avoid that area but you know that doesn't mean that the share price might go up or down it just means that 
I think it's really hard for any retail investor to get an edge in understanding the business, which is where I tend to focus in trying to get my edge is trying to understand the business mm-hmm. and the people. Whereas perhaps, um, you know, charts can always work where whatever the instrument. So for me, I would personally avoid that one. It, it just seems like it's too risky. How about you, Carl? I mean, can you look at this via the charts and give your yeah. view on biotech investing in general, I suppose, as well? <laughs> In general, look, I, I wrote down in my notes here, this one's a moonshot and, you know, they're biotech. So either they hit or they don't. Um, it's long and miserable uh, and, and painful if they don't. And it's wonderful if they do. And But so few do, right? Let's face it. Uh, look, I hope this one hits. I really, really do. Not just because uh, I have um, called it a buy uh, prior to today. In fact, I was on Osby's um, not that long ago and I, uh, one of my spots, I said, this is the one you want to watch on a, on a, on a chart uh, from a chart perspective. But the, obviously, we've got this Alzheimer's um, treatment here from Xanamem. Well done to everybody for pronouncing these incredibly difficult uh, names. But um, I'll give you another one. 11B hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase uh, is the bad bit that gets into your, in your brain and uh, causes this excess of cortisol. Uh, and if you can inhibit that, then you can stop the cortisol from latching on. And um, the cortisol is, 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 is widely accepted as um, excess cortisol levels as um, uh, progressing Alzheimer's d- d- disease and memory loss, okay, uh, cognitive d- decline. So if they get it right, um, what we hope will happen is is a significant slowing uh, in that process. And, and only good things can happen fr- from that as, as a person who has a family member suffering um, from Alzheimer's disease. So, so, you know, really, really hope they succeed. Um, the question was, where are they? They're in phase two trials. So we've obviously gone past phase one where they tested on healthy subjects and uh, found that it did actually, re- uh, well, actually improve their cognition. Um, uh, so that, that was in healthy subjects, you're improving cognition. They're going to that next step where they're going to um, get uh, subjects who are suffering in early stages to, to try and see if they can uh, reduce the, the, the diminution of cognition. Um, the, the trials, uh, we're sort of uh, getting people into the trials at the moment. That should be completed by the end of this quarter. Uh, it's a, t- a six-week trial off the top of my head. We're going to get results middle of next year. So Claude was talking about when are we going to get these results. So hopefully not too far away. And we're going to get updates um, as these trials are progressing, which potentially could stimulate the market. Uh, they do have, because obviously cortisol is a stress hormone, uh, we're talking about potential applications for behaviour um, issues, anxiety, um, even sleep disorders, and they've got another trial starting um, soon, but we won't get the results to FY 2023. So long story short, all of this explanation is if you're going into one of these stocks, know what the hell it is they're doing, know the timeline of, of, of when things are going to happen, and that will help you understand or manage your expectations as well. Now, putting all of that aside, and yeah. I, I think it's, it's important viewers understood this one, um, I do like the chart. I do like the story. I'm happy to buy it. Uh, we've had a buy on it for a little while, so I'm happy to keep, uh, to keep that going today. Got it. So Actinogen Medical, ACW for you, Jessica. Now let's get to number nine, Ali. Camplify, thousands of vans, endless adventures is their tagline. I love it. And obviously there's a lot of people that are traveling around the traps and closer to home as of late as well. So Carl, is Camplify a buy now? Uh, yeah, look, probably not a buy now. Look, I like the business. I like the idea. It's all very um, savvy, of course. It's it's um, Airbnb, but for your camper vans, if you yeah. didn't know what these guys do. So, you know, getting some return out of your camper vans. And most people have had these camper vans. Um, uh, what do they say about boats? The best day of your life is when you buy your boat. Yeah. The next best day of your, boat is, of your life is when you sell the boat. And I think yeah. many people can probably relate to that with camper vans. So we're getting something out of it. It's a great idea. A very thin end of the wedge in terms of total addressable market and, and what they've got going on. Uh, 
uh, and I'm a bit of a stick in the mud here. Just when I get back to valuation, it's not that attractive. It was attractive, you know, sort of three months ago. Not so attractive now. It's gone from about a dollar forty to as high as five dollars. We've got a fair value target of three dollars ninety. It's kind of a little bit above that now. So I'm not excited about it on that basis. Great growth expectations, of course, but the execution risk is there because it needs to achieve those. Long story short, the chart is good enough for you to hold it if you have it. I'm seeing signs that there is more sort of sell the rally than buy the dip at the moment. That does concern me. So therefore, I can't be a buy. Not a buy. How about you, Claude? Would you be buying Camplify? I'm I'm not buying Camplify at the moment, but of the stocks that we chatted today, it's actually my largest holding. Um, I think I own Zero and XRF as well. But um, yeah, this one I bought at a slightly lower price. I think we can probably find some of that stuff on a rich life. But um, yeah, basically, I do really like this story. But at the current valuations, you have to admit that probably the story has caught the um, inspired the market to push the, the shares up a bit. But basically, you know, the idea is here that these guys are actually building a business that will have a genuine network effect. So, you know, what I mean by that is something like car sales or realestate.com.au where you can really be the dominant place. So what Campify needs to be is the dominant place people go to either list their Campify, uh, their, their camper vans to rent them out, but most importantly, also to actually hire a camper van. So um, you would argue, you could argue that they're on the way to that dominance in Australia. And they also recently made an acquisition of a competitor in New Zealand, which should give them um, the chance to uh, become dominant in New Zealand. So even though based on the revenue multiples, because keep in mind this has lower gross margins, even though based on the multiples and it's not profitable, um, you would argue that this is sort of very hard to value and maybe too expensive now. Um, I think that if you zoom out and you look, you answer this question of do do um, these guys have a good chance of becoming a dominant, genuine network effect business where there aren't lots of competitors? And I think maybe the camper van niche is small enough that a little Australian company maybe could actually do that. And why would an Australian company succeed at this? Well, Australia is a great place to hire a camper van. It's a huge continent. A lot of times there's not going to be super luxury accommodation in different places you're visiting. It could be that the person with a real nice camper van that they rent off Camplify can be paying less and having better accommodation than the local motel or whatever. So, yeah, look, it makes sense there. Um, and given that it's one of those few genuine network effect stories, that's why I'm personally on board because, you know, I would even tentatively call this, I guess, a speculative buy, just acknowledging what Carl said, it's likely the share price will come down. It will be volatile. This does have potential good upside as a business if it can execute on building these uh, great, this network effect business in Australia, New Zealand, and then in the UK and Spain as well. Okay, so it's a specky buy. That's Camplify for Ali. Specky buy for Car- uh, for Claude. I'm going to call it that. Not a buy from Carl. It's not a sell though. Is it a hold, Carl? Yeah, I'm happy to hold it based upon the short-term trend. It's going to stay in the portfolio then. Didn't want to put my bias in there or influence oh, your decision it was in, in any there. way. No, no, it's staying in. That's it. Center oh, group. I'm glad S- that we didn't get rid and, of it. And yeah. I think it's worth. I think it's worth telling viewers, Nadine, that we actually. I mean, look, unless you look at it beforehand, we actually really don't know what's in the portfolio. So when we make these ideas, it's not yeah. based upon uh, protecting the portfolio or, or, or padding the portfolio. No, in exactly, and that's why I never say before. And I love your reactions always when I mention what's going on with the portfolio. Okay, now Center Group. A Center Group is how you say it properly. SCG for Till. Now we. 
had an update coming from the company earlier this week. It appears as if everything's going pretty well in terms of rent collection, in terms of occupancy. People are coming back to the shopping malls, sorry, experience centers uh, now that we're out of lockdown. Uh, We'll have to make it a little bit quick, guys. I am allowing us to go over those. So what do you think? Buy, hold, sell, Claude. Uh, For me, uh, no, I don't don't personally need to be any more leveraged to property prices. I have too much exposure that I think most Australians do, to be honest. So for me, I'll just give you a quick one. No, I don't need to buy an equity that gives me even more property exposure. So I'll pass. So that's an avoid. And how about you, Carl, a centre group? Yeah. I uh, wasn't surprised by Claude's response. It's a bit boring and uh, boring and old-fashioned, isn't it, uh, in a group? And, uh, look, I, I can't make a case to buy this one. Uh, I don't like the valuation. We've got a fair value target of 286. Uh, the brokers are 309. So, you know, somewhere between us and them is probably right, which means it's fairly valued. Uh, the trend is not so bad, but it's certainly not enough to excite me that there's a big move um, coming up on this one. The world probably won't get back to normal for for many years for these guys because we're going to have, you know, the leases are going to be harder to to renegotiate for for quite a long time. Costs are going to be higher and they've generally got more debt um, and and they've probably diluted themselves anyway by having to raise uh, more capital too. So it's it's just not a space I want to be in, so it's a pass for me. It's a pass. There you go. That brings us to the end of the program. I'm being told to thank you for joining us today. Claude Walker from A Rich Life, always great to have you. Carl Kapulinger from Think Markets, likewise. Have a good afternoon, guys. We'll speak soon. You too. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Now, let me just quickly run us through what we learned. Southern Cross Media Group, it is a sell and a pass for Carl and Claude, so it's coming out of the portfolio. Quantum Intellectual Property, QIP, it's a hold for Claude. It is not a buy uh, for uh, for Carl either. Look, it's just not very exciting. I mean, yes, it's a sleep at night stock, but he's still reticent to call it a buy. Actinogen Medical, that's a buy for Carl. He likes this one. Yes, it could hit or miss, but he understands the company, what it's doing, what it plans to do, and he's willing to put his money behind it. It's an avoid, though, for Claude because he just doesn't know enough about it. Uh, Camplify for Ali. It is not a buy for Carl. It is a specky buy for Claude. You just heard that. He likes the network effect. He likes what's going on with this business. And a center group, both of the guys would be avoiding this one at this time. So that's for you, Till. Listen, we love answering your questions. We love getting our guests to talk about the companies that you want them to. So send us an email at thecallosbiz.com.au or tweet to us at osbiztv. And you can check out that portfolio for yourself. Go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.